Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcasts at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at eric, E-R-I-K, dot Anderson at nllutheran.com. Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with proclaiming the word, testifying to the Jews that the Messiah was Jesus. When they opposed and reviled him in protest, he shook the dust from his clothes and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left the synagogue and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the official of the synagogue, became a believer in the Lord, together with all of his household, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul became believers and were baptized. Well, I don't know what type of family that you grew up in, but I grew up in a sports family. So we played a lot of sports, and we also consumed a lot of sports. If the radio was on, we were listening to our local sports teams or the high school teams. If the TV was on, it was on sports And if we were traveling somewhere, we were going to a live sporting event. Maybe it was our sporting event, or maybe we're going to see the Twins or Vikings or something like that. I mean, that was the type of family that I grew up in. And during the winter, that was my dad's time. So my dad loved football, and so that meant that we all loved football during that season. And so we would come home from church. We would run downstairs. That's where our TV was. And during that time, we just had antennas, so my dad would like try to like move the antenna around until we could finally kind of see what was going on with the game. And then we watched the Vikings game for the next three hours. We yelled and, and cheered and harassed the referees as if they could hear us. I mean, it was a great time. Then after that, we would get together, we'd get some people from the church and we'd go and we'd play touch football. It was just a great day of football all throughout the winter. Well, during the summer, that was my mom's time. She loved baseball and she loved the twins. And she had this junky old AM FM battery powered radio that she took everywhere she went. And so if she was inside the house cleaning, it was next to her and she was listening to the twins game. If she was outside weeding the garden, she had her radio with her and she was listening to the twins game. If we were in the car going to the post office, we were listening to the twins game. Every out, every inning, I think she heard every call for years and years and years and years. And by default, I did too every time I was with her. Now, between football season and between baseball season, there's basketball season. Well, I grew up in Minnesota, and the Minneapolis Lakers were long gone by the time I was born, and all their championships with them, and we got the Timberwolves when I was in elementary school. Now, my brothers were big basketball stars, and so by default, I began to like basketball. And when the Timberwolves came, we were very excited, and so I became a Timberwolves fan. But here's what's so interesting about that. See, my family never told me that I had to be a fan of these teams. They didn't say, if you're not a fan of the Twins, the Vikings, and the Timberwolves, we're going to disown you. They simply just 
love those teams. And by default, I, I love them too. The other thing that they didn't do is they didn't sit down and say, these are all the stats and these are why you should like these teams. Because in the end, there's really not a lot of stats to tell me that I should like the Vikings or the Timberwolves. Maybe the Twins, that's really my best bet. But in general, we don't have a trophy case full of trophies to say, I should be a Minnesota sports fan. It was just that my family loved them, and so I began to love them too. You see, as family members, we have a significant influence over each other. Even people who are like family to us, we have a lot of influence over them. Well, as we read through the Bible, uh, we see that many times we are referred to as a body of Christ or family of Christ. That means that we are brothers and sisters connected through a central truth that Christ died on the cross for our sins and that he rose from the dead to prove that he was who he said he was. So when we have faith in Christ, we're actually brought in and grafted into this family of Christ and we become brothers and sisters in Christ with a heavenly father upstairs. I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing. And we love it when we have new family members. We love to celebrate that. We love it when you invite guests and we bring new people to new life. We love to celebrate them in the back by giving them gifts for joining us and and hopefully stepping into our our family. We love that. But we love it not because it simply fills a seat or we get to mark off one more person in attendance. We love it because what our faith offers them. You see, our, our faith offers transformation in the next life. I mean, we're told that if we have a relationship with God, that relationship actually lasts forever through all of eternity. And that means that we can live in a place in perfect relationship with Christ. And we can live in a place where there's no pain and no sorrow. We're told that in the Bible. I mean, just, that's amazing, right? That's an amazing gift. But even in the present, there's something that it offers us. You see, we learn that life actually has a purpose as we read through the Bible. And we also get a great and healthy perspective on life. You see, we learn very quickly as we study the Bible and as you hear sermons and as you connect with Christ that, that life is so much more than making money. And life is so much more than working hard. And, and life is so much more than being really good at a sport or being really smart. Or it's, it's so much more than anything the world identifies with, right? We all go seeking after things to identify as, and in the end, we just find emptiness. But through God's truth, we see that life has so much more purpose and so much more value and so much more significance. And that is a fantastic gift. It's a great way to navigate life. And part of that navigating life is, means that we have a unique perspective on life. You see, this is what we know as believers, that this life is simply a breath. It's simply a moment. And so we have a different perspective on life because we know that in the end, we have heaven, right? Eternity with God. And this means that, that when we get that phone call, when we get in that car accident, when that doctor calls us back to the office to tell us that there's something bad going on, that we have a, a different hope. We have a different perspective because we know that this life, no matter how hard it is, will just exist for a moment. But we have something so much better for us. I mean, that's an amazing gift. Who wouldn't want that gift? But that's where the challenge comes in, right? Even though we know we hold on to this amazing gift, this amazing opportunity, this thing that anyone would want, we have a difficult time handing it off. The fancy word in Christianity for handing off our faith from one person to the next is called evangelism, sharing our faith. And see, what happens is when we get to that point where we want to hand off that gift, we kind of get caught up. We get nervous. We, we stop because we think, I'm not gifted enough. I'm not skilled enough. I don't have the biblical knowledge. I don't have the words to say. And so we kind of just freeze up 
Or maybe we're under the idea that we need a big event or a powerful communicator to really get the point across. And if we can just get them there, maybe that will work. Well, all throughout the summer, we're going to step into a new sermon series based on the book of Acts called Everyday Evangelism. And it is my contention because it's the Bible's contention that sharing our faith is a lot easier than what we've made it. So let's begin today into step one of our our nine-step process of learning how to share our faith every day in simple and easy ways by looking at Acts chapter 18. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with proclaiming the word. So we step into this section of scripture and we have three characters. We have Silas and Timothy and Paul, and they're all co-workers in the faith, right? They're missionaries. That's their job. And so we see Paul here, and Paul is the premier missionary, right? He is the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. And he's already made it to Corinth. These other two guys, they're, they're running late. They're tardy. And so he just starts in. So the young guys, they're not really there on time. And so he's like, I'm just going to start teaching, start doing what I do. And of course, he's always very, very successful. He is the premier missionary. But before we really get into what Paul is doing, we have to understand who Paul is. This guy, because I believe that one of the hangups that we can have when it comes to sharing our faith or sharing Christ is who we are. You might think as you look back in your past or if you think about maybe some of the things that you struggle with, you think, well, I'm not actually worthy to share my faith. Or if they knew who I was back then, they would just deem me as a hypocrite and they wouldn't listen to me anyways. And this is where if you struggle with that or thought that, this is why Paul should be your guy. This is why Paul should be your hero. You see, if we back up in Paul's life, this is what we see. Paul was an amazing Jewish young man. He'd been trained by the premier teachers. He had been brought up. He was going to be a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was young, he was smart, and he was wise, and he was going to carry the mantle of the faith. He was very zealous for the faith. Well, as Christianity sprung up and the faith began to grow, Paul took notice of this because he wasn't a believer yet. And he looked at all these people and he looked at all these teachings and he deemed it as a cult. It was a big lie in his mind. And so he went to leadership and said, I'm willing to do anything it takes to stop this movement of people. I'm even willing to kill them off if that's what it requires to stop this lie from spreading and permeating our society. And they said, okay. And so he went at his job and he began to kill or approve of the killing of Christians to stop this movement. Well, on his way to Damascus, he's halfway there and Jesus shows up. Christ has already ascended to heaven. They have this amazing interaction and Jesus tells him that he's going the wrong way, not directionally, but spiritually. He tells Paul that he is bought into a lie, that actually what he thought was a lie was the truth and what he thought the truth was, was a lie. And Paul's life radically changes. And Paul steps into his new purpose and his new point and his new mission to share the truth of Christ. And so as he goes and does this, and as he trains people in the faith, this means that he's running into people who he has killed off their family members. Paul was a murderer, right? Paul killed Christians. This means as he taught people, as he engaged with people, that he very likely had killed off their son or their daughter, or their spouse, or their grandparents. But despite that, despite that background, despite who Paul was, 
he became the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. So if you've ever felt like your past, the things you did, the things you've struggled with are, are too large or they hold you down that you can't share your faith. Look at Paul. Paul was a murderer who became the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. He did not let his past define him. So let's step into Paul's story and see what he does next. So we find Paul testifying to the Jews that the Messiah was Jesus. You see, Paul had a a very specific strategy that he lived out. He would go from synagogue to synagogue. Now, when you think about a synagogue, this is what this is. They had a big temple, a big place of worship where they did their sacrifices and things of that nature. And then they had these little community hubs called synagogues where they would pray and they would teach. Think about little community churches all around. So Paul, what he would do is he would go to these synagogues. He would get invited to teach and then he would read the scripture and then he would connect the Old Testament or the Jewish Bible to Jesus because it all connects with Jesus. And so he'd sit there and he'd explain to people how Jesus fulfilled all of these prophecies and how Jesus fulfilled everything that was going on in the Old Testament. And he would try to convince them of this truth so they could believe as well. Well, as he did this in Corinth, some people got really worked up, and this is what we see. When they opposed and reviled him in protest, he shook the dust from his clothes and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So Paul does his work. He's trying to convince people, and people start getting upset because when you challenge people's beliefs, they will get upset, right? And so they're getting all worked up. And so finally, Paul's had enough, and this is what he does, which is kind of strange in our modern context. But he dusts off his clothes, and he leaves. Now, we don't really get this, and we wouldn't do this. But in that day, they understood what this meant immediately. Because if you were a good Jewish person, if you traveled through a Gentile town, right, a non-Jewish town, you actually would leave the town and then you would dust off your clothes. You would get all the dirt that you might have picked up along the way and you wanted to leave it behind. And the reason that you did this is because you viewed everything that the Gentile city represented as being disconnected from God, including even the dust that you picked up along the way. And so you would shake the dust off your clothes to signify that you're leaving everything that's not about God in the past. So when Paul does this, it communicates powerfully to these people that what he's saying is you and everything you're standing for and everything you're doing is counter to what God has for you. And so he knocks out the dust and he says these strong words and then he leaves. Well, not everyone is completely opposed to what Paul has to say. In fact, he interacts with some other people and this is what it says. Then he left the synagogue and went to the house of a man named Titus Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. So Paul's walking out. This guy invites him into his home. Conveniently, it's right next to the synagogue. So he's probably there listening on the outside. And what's so interesting about this guy is he was a Gentile. And we know this because of this phrase, a worshiper of God. And so in this context, what it's saying is this guy believed in God, but he hadn't been circumcised yet. Right? So he hadn't taken the full step into Judaism. It would be like a Christian who hadn't been baptized, right? You, you believe, but you haven't taken that, that full step into your faith. And so Paul connects with this guy. He invites him into his home, and they're having this dialogue about what Paul was talking about. And as they're doing it, this guy knocks on the door. 
And this is who it is. Crispus, the official of the synagogue, became a believer in the Lord together with all of his family. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul became believers and were baptized. So this guy shows up, and this is so significant because it's Crispus. And the reason this is significant is because he was the ruler of the synagogue. And this was a position that you had to, to be a good Jewish person to get. And you had to work your way up the ranks. This guy was the leader of the synagogue, which means that he was the one who decided who was teaching in the synagogue. He was the one who ordered the service. I mean, he was a man of high, high standing. And here he is. He wants to talk to Paul. The same Paul who just got his whole synagogue in an uproar. This guy's like, I got to see what this guy's about. I got to have a deeper conversation. And so he goes to a Gentile's house. Now, this is also significant because a good Jewish person, especially the ruler of the synagogue, would not go into a Gentile's house. But he knocks on the door and he has this conversation and he has this interaction with Paul. And it says later on in the scripture that, that of the few people that Paul, the apostle Paul baptized, Crispus was one of them. And Crispus' life is changed. And so we run into the hero of the story. And it's not Paul, even though obviously Paul is a hero of the story, but that he's one of those heroes that's so disconnected from us. I mean, it's like he almost has superpowers, right? Just something that we can't really hold on to. He's, he goes in the synagogue, he convinces people of Old Testament, the Old Testament prophecies, he's an unbelievable communicator. It's just like, he's so gifted and so talented. And he's the guy that we would think we'd just bring people to and he would change their hearts. And he does, right? He has a lot of influence. But Crispus is a hero as well. Crispus is an incredibly significant person in this storyline. Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue. He's the guy who actually invited Paul in to speak. He's the guy who allowed Paul to influence all these people and even to get some people upset. But he also was the person that was willing to give up his role, give up his prestige, and give up his faith to have a conversation with Paul. And then he's baptized. He believes. He's connected to the faith. And then what does he do? He influences the people that he has the most influence over. It says his whole household's life was transformed. They all place their faith in Christ. They all receive the benefits that, that Jesus has to offer us. I mean, this is amazing. So his kids, his grandkids, his parents, all of them are influenced by Christmas. All of them have this transformative faith because of this man willing to sacrifice anything and his influence changed their life. You see, this is where we run into our, our first step of everyday evangelism. Easy steps, simple ways for us to actually live out our faith and actually hand that faith on to the people around us and all those blessings to the people around us. And this is what we see. Is that we need to model what we hope to see. We need to model what we hope to see. See, my dad loved the Vikings, so I love the Vikings. My mom loved the Twins, and so I love the Twins. My brothers liked the Timberwolves, so I like the Timberwolves. They never had to convince me. They never had to tell me I was out of the family if I, if I didn't buy into these teams or love these teams. They simply just love these teams, and I love them, and so I began to love the teams that they loved. But there's something else that was more significant about my family. It's not only was my, my family a sports family, but before that, Above that, they were a Jesus family. They were Christ followers. And if the church was open, we were there. And I was encouraged to go to youth group and, and all these things. And I was 
bathed with prayer and taught the Bible. I mean, they put Jesus as the number one slot, even before sports. I remember so many times on Sunday having to wait to go to my baseball tournament because my mom made me go to church first and I missed warmups. See, my family put Jesus as a number one slot. And by default, I became a Christ follower as well. I began to learn to put Christ in the number one slot. In fact, maybe some of you, that's your story. Maybe you had a, a godly mother, a godly father who, who always prioritized Christ. And so by default, you learned to behave that way. In fact, as we look through research, we see this is true. In fact, there's a company called Lifeway that does Christian research. And this is what I saw this past week when I was looking up some of their stats. If a mother goes to church, a third of her children will attend church as, as adults. Now, understand this stat. This is just if a mom goes to church, it doesn't say how much, just decides to go to church. It might be Easter. It might be Christmas. It might be sporadically throughout. It might be more than that. But just simply by going to church, by at least setting that simple priority, that at least a third of her kids will also go to church. Now, dads, this one is for you. If a father goes to church, two-thirds of his children will attend church as adults. Now, this means that doesn't mean you're going every Sunday. It just means that you are going occasionally, right? At least there's some priority in your life that you're going to put church as an important piece of the puzzle and two-thirds of your kids will get connected. Now, here's the most significant stat of all of them. When a father prioritizes Christ in his life, puts him in the number one spot, 93% of his children will be believers. So this is a dad who prioritizes church, prioritizes prayer, prioritizes maybe a life group that he's involved in or, or studying the Bible. When a dad puts Christ as a number one slot, almost 100% of the time, the family will follow every single time. You see, this is what we see today. That we model what we want to see. If we model it, it will happen. Another way to say it is this. Whatever altar that you worship at, your kids will worship at. Especially if we're talking about during those formative years of their life, right? When they're living at home with you. Whatever altar you worship at during that time, they will worship at the same altar. It might be the altar of hard work, right? You work hard, you set the standard, and in turn, they work hard too. Or maybe it's making money, right? You've been very successful. They see that. You, you put that as a high priority in your life and they do the same. Or maybe it's sports or maybe it's scholastics, right? You, you want them to have an advanced degree. You have an advanced degree and so you model that and then by default, they began to do the exact same thing. You see, whatever altar you worship at, for better or worse, they will worship at the same altar. See, as believers, we're told often to put Christ as the number one priority in our life, which means this is very challenging, but it's very simple. If we put Christ on that space, in that place, if we put Christ as our source of worship, the people that we influence the most will do the exact same thing. So here's your challenge. Step one in everyday evangelism is to model what you hope to see.